Welcome to the Construction Supply 150 podcast. It's brought to you by Web Analytics, and I'm Craig Webb. Most of you know me as a reporter. I'm the guy who tries to put things into context so that you can make sense of what's been going on in construction supply. And I want to put things into a particularly special context for you today. To do that, I would like you to imagine a particular scene. It's one that takes place several thousand miles away from where you are right now, and it took place actually a couple thousand years ago. I want you to imagine the Roman Empire. Now, I might be the first person you've ever heard of who's tried to connect the Roman Empire with construction supply companies, so let's improve on that picture in your head a bit. What I want you to imagine is a very special Roman holiday. Back in the day, if a general won a particularly big war, the Romans would honor that general with a big celebration. The Romans called this event a triumph. Julius Caesar got a triumph, Pompey got a triumph, Marcus Aurelius got one, and so did a lot of others. It was a really, really big deal. There would be sporting events and lots of entertaining, and these triumphs could go on for several days. The highlight of a triumph was a march through the streets of Rome. It often would start with captured prisoners, after which you might see carts that were heaped with gold and armor and precious objects, all the spoils of war that were collected during the fighting. Then in the dust, up would come the Roman legions marching by. You can hear the cheers of the spectators ringing in their ears. After that, Well, maybe Rome's senators and magistrates were taking part. After all, what politician doesn't love a parade? And then, in a chariot led by four horses, there came the general. On the general's head, there would be a crown of laurel. He would wear a special toga that was all purple with lots of golden embroidery. That's because the color purple was something worn by royalty, so you could say that the general had become king for a day. Sometimes the general's face was painted in red because that honored Jupiter, the number one god worshipped by the Romans. The Temple of Jupiter was located on the most important hill in Rome, and that's where this triumphal march is headed. And now, as you imagine this scene, I'd like you to picture one thing more. According to some descriptions of a triumph, there'd be someone else located in or near that chariot. And this person could be a companion, maybe he was a slave, but that person had an important role. That person would turn to the general and from time to time he would say to him these words, memento mori. That's Latin and it basically means, remember, you will die. It was a reminder to the general that during this triumph he might be treated like a god today, but in the future he was certain to die like any other human, and his bones would disappear into the dust. You could see and hear all of these things if you were on the parade route that triumphant day, and you might see something else. Because unless the general was an egotist, or maybe a very good actor, you might see a tinge of concern underneath all that red paint on the general's face. Perhaps you also might spot a hint of concern in the general's eyes. Maybe the general knew deep down he was getting this triumph, not so much because he was brave or virtuous. 
Maybe he knew that he was triumphant because he was lucky. When Romans talked about luck, the Latin word they used was fortuna. That's how we get the English word fortunate. Romans understood that a general needed both fortuna and virtue if they wanted to succeed. There's a saying people used about Roman emperors back then, and it goes like this. May he be luckier than Augustus and better than Trajan. More recently, Napoleon said of one officer, well, I know he's a good general, but is he lucky? And even today, military officers will talk about luck. But when they do, it's usually in the context given to us by another Roman, the famous philosopher Seneca. According to Seneca, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. You might have heard that phrase, but usually today, when you hear it, it's attributed to a football coach and not to a Roman. So let's summarize now by going back to that general and the celebration of his triumph. Here you have a leader who is hailed as a near god for what he's done, but during that ride, he also might be thinking that he owes some of his triumph to luck. And if that isn't enough to sober him up, he's also getting that memento mori reminder. It's all a way to say, don't get a swelled head. That crown of laurels can only stretch so far. Now, let's return to the present day. I'd like you to imagine a lumberyard. Earlier this year, we're in a room where the executives are reviewing their numbers for 2021. And those numbers are spectacular. Revenues might be up 70, 80, even 90% above where they were in 2020. If the lumberyard had a manufacturing operation attached, like a truss plant or a mill workshop, the average gain, the average gain in revenue last year from 2020 was nearly 60%. And if it were a simpler lumberyard, one that didn't have manufacturing, well, that gain was 37%. Those increases are particularly impressive when you consider how they compare with home centers and hardware stores like the Home Depot and Lowe's as well as the modestly sized hardware store just around the corner. That group's sales went up an average of 11%. The growth rate was better at specialty stores that focus on flooring, roofing, wallboard, stuff like that. They rose an average of 27%. 27% is pretty good, you'd say, but that's still less than half of what the lumberyards with manufacturing did. Now, you put all 150 together and you get revenue growth of 19%. But you can see there really was a big difference between one group and another. So, what we had was a year in which the bigger lumber yards recorded increases that were five times above what the big boxes accomplished. How could that be? Well, I can give you the answer in just one word. And that word is lumber. The price of softwood lumber shot up 116% between January 2020, just before COVID began, and the end of 2021. As a result, dealers got more than double their money for delivering the same volume of wood that they had sent out a few years ago. Lots of other building products also increased in price, as all of you know, but none of them soared as high as lumber. As a result, if you were a building material dealer, the higher the percentage of revenues that you got from wood, the higher your sales shot up. And what did we see? Lumber yards with manufacturing, 58%, Home centers, 11%.
So now let's return to the lumberyard where you're reviewing the numbers. Odds are there's a lot of celebrating going on for having broken sales ceilings that nobody on the team had ever imagined shattering. But along with the champagne bubbles, I bet there's also a question hanging in the air. Were we lucky or were we good? Helping me explore these issues are a half dozen experts in construction supply. Three of them come from the sponsors of this podcast. Those companies are Epicor, BuildExact, and Building Industry Partners, and I thank all three for their support. The other three people are folks I admire a lot. They are Greg Brooks, Tony Mazura, and Mike McDowell. This year marks the 40th year that Mike has been in the LBM business. And until recently, Mike was head of sales at National Lumber. That's one of the biggest construction supply companies in New England. National sold itself to Builders First Source not long after Mike left the company to become a consultant. So I asked Mike whether lumber yards lately have been lucky or good. Mike thinks it's a little bit of both. I actually have asked a few dealers, how did they get to that increase? Interesting enough, yes, again, the, the inflation of well, not just the commodities, but all products certainly factored into it. But they actually were more aggressive. They worked a little harder to get business. And they kind of pushed their salesmen knowing that the business was out there. And it's paid dividends for them. Many of them, especially the smaller ones, and I say smaller, 50 million and under, probably were lucky. You know, the, as the old saying is, a rising tide raises all boats. But I do think that there's certainly many, many dealers out there that are good. And if they can make money in a down economy, they're obviously making you know tons of money or more than they ever dreamed of in the last couple of years. And probably this year, too, is at least after the first four months. McDowell's answer brings up a couple of important things that you should remember as we go through the construction supply 150. You can find tens of thousands of lumber and building material companies in the United States. My report only covers 150 of them, but these 150 take an enormous share of all the money spent at retail establishments in this country on home building and home improvement. My guess is that these 150 account for about three quarters of all the spending made at retail stores. And those tens of thousands of other companies that are also in the group well, they take in the rest. The 150 companies in the CS150 took in nearly $374 billion, billion with a B, in 2021. If the CS150 was its own country, it would rank 31st on the list of biggest national economies. It's up there with Nigeria and Sweden. One thing you can say about the construction supply 150 is that the big keep getting bigger. There were a huge number of acquisitions last year. And the pace continued this year with places like Mike McDowell's National Lumber being sold to Builders First Source. CS150 members also weren't shy about opening new branches in places where they didn't have a branch before. All told, the number of locations in the United States run by CS150 members grew by nearly 8%. That number now is 13,700. Along with saying that CS150 members are getting bigger, you also could say that they're getting better. And they're probably getting better at a faster pace than the smaller dealers. This is particularly the case when it comes to technology. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, the, the past two years, I think everyone's realized that uh, online and contact lists and notifications and all of that has just become a requirement in every transaction. And you know, uh, it's not just the work of us, but the dealers are working to implement these products. So uh, with notifications and online payments and all of that. That's Graham Rigby of Epicor, a big provider of software used at building material dealers, including lots of CS150 members. Epicor, like all the other software businesses, has been very busy these past two years helping dealers catch up on e-commerce. And this year, you can see big advances in what dealers can do. For example, take the number of CS150 members who can tell customers automatically when their delivery will arrive. Well, 50% more can do that now than they could in 2020. Meanwhile, the number of dealers where you can pay bills online rose by 40%. And if you wanted to order online and pick up the item at the store, well, that's 73% more common these days at Construction Supply 150 companies than it was just a couple of years ago. What I see in the marketplace overall is wanting to be as efficient as they can with the staff that they have um, and with the resources they have so that they're not overbuilding. Because, yeah, some, some of the inflation is because the price of lumber is twice as high, not because their sales are twice, you know, the volume of sales is twice as large. So making sure that they are, are being as efficient as possible. You know, I think people are doing a lot of measurements on how many AP invoices are we processing per person? How many lines is someone picking out in the yard to, um, to really drive those metrics and efficiencies and then benchmarking those against their peers as well. Another person who sees technology helping improve performance is Steve Yates. He's in charge of North American operations at BuildExact. And one of the things that Yates does is to look at the services that building material dealers provide and then compare them with what builders and remodelers actually want. He believes a change is underway. Well, very much we're hearing the builders want to be able to self-enable or or what we call self-quote. More than 50% of your builders given the tools would actually want to do their own design, their own bill of quantities, their own quote and own cost estimating so that they can move 24-7 at their own pace. If we go back to the question earlier about what the trend is, you know, uh, dealers are, are adding a lot of cost to their business via providing takeoff of secondary and tertiary services inside their business. And in many cases, the builders don't want it. The builders want to be able to do that themselves. I also talked about technology with Mike McDowell, that former sales director at National Lumber. Mike also thinks customers are changing in a way that makes modern technology much easier for dealers to stay in touch without the dealers having to drive all over creation to have personal meetings. When I was on the road in the early 90s, I had to pull over, and I'm going to age myself now, but I had to pull over and, and I had a pager and have to use a payphone. So uh, for all the listeners, you can imagine how old I am. But anyway, in today's technology, I mean, you know, just when I say pay attention to a customer is, you know, they call you, leave a voicemail because you're on the other line, whatever. You could text back an answer and they're fine with that. They're, you know, years ago, they might not have accepted that, but now they accept that and they're because they're just as busy. So technology and, and accounts pay uh, their accounts and so on and so forth. That is something that, you know, these smaller contractors, because they're a one man show for the most part, maybe a couple. So those type of things help solidify the relationship with you as a dealer. 
Of course, you need more than a lot of shiny new technology if you want to run a better construction supply 150 company. You also need a 21st century workforce. And that's why I added questions in this year's survey about staffing issues. Some of the news was good. For one thing, excluding the Home Depot and Lowe's, 36% of all workers at CS150 companies are women. 31% are black, Asian, or Hispanic. That's three times better than the percentages of women and minorities in the construction industry. But some other news from the report was painful. Construction Supply 150 companies were asked to rate their difficulty hiring people for certain jobs on a 1 to 10 point scale, with 1 being super easy and 10 being super hard. The dealers said their biggest problem was hiring truck drivers. In fact, half the respondents rated hiring truck drivers 10 on a 10 point scale. Interestingly, yard workers were the second hardest jobs to fill way ahead of office workers and even executive staff. Maytal Kennedy thinks about people issues all the time in her job as a staff director at Building Industry Partners. Maytal's company owns a couple of lumberyard chains and some manufacturing businesses, and she has spent much of her career working on benefits programs and personnel issues. She believes dealers need to change their ways if they're going to be competitive. One of the things I think that's evolved over the course of this time period is reframing the thinking from the great resignation to the great reshuffle. So folks are just moving around between places and a lot of companies have done a great job with their, I'll call it their employer brand. So they're doing a lot of great advertising about what kind of retention bonuses they have and kind of career paths. But then folks are joining and they're going, oh, well, well maybe it's not quite there or maybe I need to be enrolled for a year to access any of that. And so then they're jumping and jumping and jumping. So what we focus on, both in terms of recruiting and then retaining, is having the employee experience match the employer brand. Now, we're not seeing construction supply companies putting in beanbag chairs or having a masseuse come by to provide back rubs, but we are seeing CS150 members loosening up their benefits just a little bit. For instance, one-third of the responding businesses said they have stopped requiring an employee work for a year before they can take a vacation. Three out of five are more lenient about unscheduled time off. Two out of five have added or enhanced their health care benefits. Working from home is another issue where changes are underway. Among CS150 companies, nearly half the respondents to the survey said that they have begun letting some employees work from home permanently. If you ask Tony Missouri, this is a big deal. Tony runs the Missouri Group. It's a recruiting business based near the Twin Cities, but Tony is plugged into trends across the country. Recent data coming in, people are taking a $20,000 cut in pay to work from home. Okay, perfect. You know, uh, whether it's trust design managers, just use that as a, as a model. So they're taking $20,000 less. You have to pay them $20,000 less today. Well, then the flip side is if you want that talent to come into your location in Akron, Ohio, or wherever it's at, you might have to pay twenty dollars to $30,000 more, and the quality of the talent pool is going to be less. Just very simply, because there's less people that want to live in 
Akron, Ohio, versus the number of people that are willing to, to, to work from home. So smart leaders are really looking at this and going, hey, it's kind of simple math here. Pay less money and have a higher quality talent pool. <laughs> and then get, get, get out, <laughs> stop chopping my leg off with the chainsaw here and, and, and feel comfortable with managing remotely. And, and, you know, whether it's purchasing situations or design situations, those are really easy roles to develop some type of matrix to make sure the job's getting done. You can see a change in attitude among dealers regarding whether lots of other jobs can be performed outside the office. Of course, there are limits to that. Yard workers need to be in the yard. So do dispatchers and truck drivers. And all those people putting together trusses and hanging doors have to work in a factory. But other people, maybe they can work from home. But there's a bigger problem construction supply faces with regard to its workforce that goes beyond pay, goes beyond benefits, goes beyond home offices. That's the challenge of getting potential workers to see construction supply companies as a good place to work. When was the last time you ever met anybody who said, I grew up wanting to be in the lumber business? You know, nobody grows up wanting to be in the lumber business. You know, if you remember the movie Caddyshack, that was the great joke because if Danny didn't get the money to go to college, he was going to wind up working in a lumber yard all his life. That's Greg Brooks. Once upon a time, he was a house framer, and then he spent 18 years working for Wicks Lumber and other lumber dealers before he eventually preceded me as editor-in-chief of Pro Sales Magazine. Brooks now runs the Executive Council on Construction Supply. He believes recruiting in the future is going to require that dealers be open-minded. They already are with regard to race and sex, he thinks. Now they need to expand their thinking one step more. I don't think there are a whole lot of people in this industry, a lot of owners or managers, who care one way or another whether somebody is what, what race they are or whether it's you know a man or, or a woman or, or any of that. If they're willing to work hard and willing to learn, I think they're accepted. You know, I know a general manager who happens to be African-American, just as, as an aside, everywhere he goes, he is on the lookout for people that he considers that he thinks would be promising employees. Right now, his project, there is a, a young woman that he met who was a barista at Starbucks. And he thought she just had a great, engaging personality. And so he approached her and said, you know something, you, would, you might be interested in in kitchen design, and you could make a lot of money, a lot more money uh, being a kitchen designer. It took him months to talk her into coming to work for him. Now she's been on the job for a year, and she loves it. Of course, higher pay will help, too. And given how much money is poured into the revenue streams of CS150 members this past year, one already can see that some of it is getting spread around. Since COVID began... CS150 members who didn't buy any companies or open any new yards, you know, in other words, the people who kept their operations pretty much the same, well, they said they have increased their payrolls by 19%. The size of that payroll increase is just one of the reasons dealers are feeling uneasy these days. Dealers are getting ulcers over supply chain problems that have been going on for years now, and they're likely to continue into 2023. 
and all the ups and downs of lumber prices are making them feel like they're on a thrill ride at King's Dominion. Nobody knows for sure whether the economy is heading into a recession, and if so, how the home building and remodeling industries will be affected. So amid all this uncertainty, dealers face a lot of tough decisions. What's going to happen if lumber prices drop by two-thirds, all the way down to where they were just a few years ago? Should I let Mary the accountant and Joe the designer work from home? How much more benefit can I get from investing more money into e-commerce? And how should I celebrate the huge revenue gains recorded this past year? Was I lucky or was I good? I can't give definitive answers to these questions. And that's in part because every dealer's situation is different. But I can provide information that will help you spot the trends, the threats, the opportunities most likely to shake up your business. I hope the Construction Supply 150 helps do that. And I look forward to reporting your next triumph. Construction Supply 150, as well as this podcast, were created by Web Analytics. Production support was provided by Andy Squint. He also did all the music. Both the CS150, the podcast, and a webinar on the CS150, they were all sponsored by Epicor, BuildExact, and Building Industry Partners. We thank them for their support. If you'd like to be part of next year's Construction Supply 150, please reach out to me at www.web-analytics.com. I'm Craig Webb. Thanks for listening.